So we're going to go to Matthew 7. You know, uh, my grandfather in the faith, Brother Hagen, who's Pastor Mark and Pastor Rhonda's father in the faith, you know, he delivered us from being redundant when it comes to this, you know, preaching the same message over and over again. I remember one year at Winter Bible Seminar when Pav and I were students at Bible school, every single morning Dad Hagen came in and said the same exact thing. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in the upper student section thinking to myself, is he going to say anything different? And I was asking the Lord, is you going to have him say something different? And the Lord spoke to me and said, not until you get it. <laughs> you know, almost as saying, I'm the, the reason in the room that he has to keep saying what he has to keep saying. <laughs> Amen. But I know this to be true. Being redundant allows things to get into our spirit. You know, head knowledge doesn't save you. Because faith isn't of the head. Faith is of the heart. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we've got to know some things in here. And what we're going to minister on this morning is going to challenge us. Everyone say, I'm ready to be challenged. Hallelujah. And I'm going to try to stay off soapboxes, but if it happens, it happens. Glory to God. You know, in the body of Christ as a whole, not here because we have good shepherds, but in the body of Christ as a whole, uh, the body of Christ is just real soft. And the reason they're soft is not to any fault of their own. They just get soft messages. Messages that don't challenge them. You know, I wonder how many people in the body of Christ are actual disciples. Not Christians. Christians are, you know, are a dime a dozen. You know, and it's better to be saved and make it into heaven than not to get there at all. But I want all he has for me while I'm here on earth. I want to fulfill my call here on earth. And I'm not the only one in the room that's called. You're called. Oh, come on now. You are called. Whatever you're doing as a businessman or a businesswoman, whatever you're doing as mom, as dad, whatever you're doing as a teacher or whatever, you are called by God. And there's a gift in and an ability and a talent on the inside of you. You know what he said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the dreams that I have for you. Yeah. Amen. I know the plans that I have for you, right? To give you a hope and to give you an end. There's purpose on the inside of every single one of us. Yeah. Amen. And the way that purpose is manifested in the world that we live in is by our obedience unto God. Not by being a Christian, but by being a disciple. By being a disciple, you empower the gifting that's on the inside of you to come out of you and be a blessing to this world. Yeah. Oh, come on now. See, Christians just want to be told that it's going to be all right, live however you want, and it doesn't matter. God's going to bless you anyways. That's what Christians want to hear. But guess what? That's not the truth of God's word. And if anybody's ever told you that, they lied to you. And you have been deceived because the word is very clear. Obey me and then these things will happen. Amen. Glory to God. See, obedience, what did he say in the book of Samuel? He said, your obedience is a greater sacrifice. And the reason why your obedience is a greater sacrifice is because when you bring your obedience to God, now that dream that he's given you, now that purpose he's placed on the inside of you, through your obedience, he can pull that out of you. You know, thinking about life the last couple of days, and this isn't talking about Rachel's mom, but I wonder how many dreams die when the individual dies with them. Wonder how many purposes go unfulfilled. Because we didn't obey God. Your purpose is fulfilled through your obedience. Now get this. Those who obey him, 
are the ones that know him. Right? When you know him, you obey him. I heard, and, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's, it, Pastor Mark was super led by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you can say super led. <laughs> he was led by the Spirit when he taught us about grace a couple months ago. Because hyper grace is coming back. And there's so much error in hyper grace. Grace is not here so I can live however I want to live. Grace is here to empower me, to give me God's favor so I can obey him. So I can walk in line with the word of God. That's what grace is for. Amen. Amen. My dad, I've shared this with you before. He always used to say this, you know, Robert could fall into a porta potty and come out smelling like chocolate. <laughs> and then they always just dubbed it up to the grace of God. <laughs> you know, the grace of God is not on your life so you can fall into the toilet and come out smelling like chocolate. The grace of God is there to keep you from falling in the toilet to begin with. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. And I know if we make a mistake, God is good and he's merciful and he's long-suffering and he'll work all things for our good. Amen. But he would rather you never get in the mess to begin with. Well, how do we keep out of the mess? We must know him. And that's our slogan around here. To know him and to make him known. Everyone say know him. So here in Matthew 7, verse 21, and y'all are going to witness a miracle firsthand this morning. We're going to go slow. <laughs> Hallelujah. And if you've been at Cornerstone for any length of period of time, you know why that's funny. Every single one of you have told me, that was a wonderful message, but could you slow down? <laughs> y'all trying to change me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let me be me. Glory to God. <laughs> but we're just going to slow down and we're going to take it nice and easy. And so this is where we went Wednesday night and I couldn't get away from it all weekend. And so let's just start in verse 21. Not all people who are religious are really godly. That word godly right there means devotion. All, not all who are religious are really devoted. Not all people who sound religious. So listen, just because someone can quote scripture doesn't mean they're really devoted to God. Just because someone goes to church on Sunday morning, and maybe even those of you that come on Wednesday night, just because we look and sound godly, just because we look and sound religious doesn't mean we're godly. What separates those who are religious and those who are godly is devotion. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Again, hallelujah. What separates the religious from the godly is those who are devoted. See, you look at the, the religious who always argued with Jesus in the New Testament, and the reason they argued with him is because they weren't devoted to him. Right? They just wanted conflict. They wanted to argue with him. They wanted to be able to live their life, and they didn't want Jesus to tell them how to live their life. And so they argued, and they quoted Scripture. But they weren't devoted to him or his ways. Religious people are more, devo more devoted to themselves than they are to God. And you see that all through the scriptures. I don't want to be one of those. I want to be devoted to him. Listen to this. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue, now don't miss this. The decisive issue is whether they obey my father in heaven. So Jesus is now teaching us about a true disciple. 
He's showing us what discipleship, and you know what? Maybe we can get rid of that word Christian. Could we please? Because that's what the word that the mockers came up with all those years ago. That's the stereotype that they gave to people who were following Jesus. That they used to make fun of them. Jesus never called you a Christian. He called you a disciple. What is a disciple? One who obeys the commands, listen to me now, of their master. Now the world, especially the United States of America, don't like that terminology. But that's what a disciple is. A disciple means this, when it comes to following Jesus, I don't have a choice. Amen? It's not my way or the highway, it's his way or no way. Come on, and we need to get back to this level of commitment. We need to get back, the church complains about being challenged. Listen, I think we don't challenge the church enough. Right? We got to understand that you have been called to be more than a Christian. You've been called to be a follower, a disciple of the King. Glory to God. And the Bible says this, when people look at you, they should see him. The only way that happens is if you're a disciple. Everybody say, know him. The disciple issue, decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. Now watch this, verse 23. But God will reply, I never knew you. You know, Pastor Mark, he taught a series on Wednesday nights. You should go back and look about And it was called uh, Fruit Over Flesh. And one thing he talked about was a Christmas tree. And he talked about, you know, how they decorate it and make it real nice and they put ornaments on it. But they're the ones that put all those things on the tree to make it look that way. At the end of the day, it was just a tree. This is kind of what the scripture is referring to. Listen, you can prophesy all you want. Right? That doesn't make you a disciple. That just means God put something on you in that moment. Right? And you're, you're listening to him and you're yielding to him in that moment. But if you just yield to him in that moment and then you prophesy and you don't live as a disciple, he's saying right here, it doesn't even matter because I don't know you. <laughs> Woo, someone said that's good preaching. Amen. We want to be used in the greater things. Well, guess what the greater thing is you can do with your life? To lay it down for him. Right? That's the greatest thing you can do with your life. And, and I'll dare to say this. The more you lay it down, the more he can use you. Right? And, and, and the easier it will be for you to be used by him because the more you lay down your life for him, the more you will know him. Amen. And so we've got to get to know him. He said, we did miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Go away. The things you did were unauthorized. And this is how many, so many Christians live. <laughs> they do what they want to do. And then they try to say, Jesus gave me permission to do this. And Jesus, we're going to get to heaven. He's going, I didn't give you permission to do that. That was unauthorized. Oh, come on now. Glory to God. I can just, uh, well, I'll just tell you this. I've been here for 20 years. Glory to God. There's been many times, you know, I had one person when we were back in the A-frame. This story will bless you. And if it doesn't, just smile. So I think it does. Hallelujah. I had somebody come up to me in the A-frame. They no longer go to church here. They came up to me in the A-frame and they said, we're just waiting for you to start your church. And when, we, when you do, we'll be the biggest tither in that church. 
I had a Jesus moment in my mind. Get behind me, Satan. I didn't want to embarrass them, but I was thinking, it's amazing how people will try to get you out of your place. Now listen, in these 20 years, not trying to be prideful or narcissistic, I could have started a church. And it would have been good and it would have been fine, but would have it been authorized? See, we can't judge the work by whether or not it's doing anything. We got to judge the work by did God say to do this? I could have started a church. Rachel, well, she would pray against it. <laughs> we could have started a church and people would have come. And maybe even some people from Cornerstone would have came. Maybe. Hallelujah. But once they realized that I was supposed to be a part of this, they would have came back here. See, I could have started a church and people could have came. We could have gotten people born again, right? People healed because God is good. But the question is, did he authorize it? That's the only question we should be asking. Did you authorize this move? Did you authorize it? The Bible says that the steps of the righteous have been what? Ordered by God. What does that mean? It's not optional. Imagine going to a restaurant and you order a steak and they come back with a chicken sandwich. You'd be like, that's, that's not what I ordered. What are, you, what are you doing? It would be foolish for you to order something and then they bring you something else. And that's how many, so many Christians are. God, it's like that dog. You throw a stick and he comes back with a frisbee and you're like, I didn't throw that. Where'd you even find that? And I feel like that's how Jesus is going to be. We come up into heaven and we're like, here it is, Lord. And he's like, where did you even get that from? I never told you to do that. What do you, what, where'd you find that? And we're going to say, look, I, I was right here. I prophesied in your name. I did these. And God's going to say, I never told you to do any of that. What has God instructed us to do? What has he said? See, this is what true discipleship looks like. What have you instructed me to do? Amen. And, and, and you know, when it comes to prayer, how long should you pray? I don't know the answer, but I would pray however long it takes to submit yourself to him. That's the answer. And we see that from Jesus in the garden. His steps were ordered by God to lay down his life as a living sacrifice. And his body and his flesh, it recoiled against the call. It recoiled against being a disciple. How do I know that? The Bible says that he was so vexed that he bled or he sweat great drops of blood. What does that tell us? His flesh is now recoiling against being a disciple. What did Jesus do? He prayed. He just went and said, you know what? Let me know my heavenly father. And when I know my heavenly father, I'll know what to do. And then once I know what to do, one final step, submit myself. Not my will, but your will be done. Someone say, not my will, but your will be done. Amen. Over in James 4, chapter 7 and 8, we know this scripture. It says, so humble yourself. Well, let's just go. Well, no. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God. Listen, church, the only way to get close to him is to obey him. 
Obedience leads to submission, and submission leads you to close to God because the Bible says he resists the proud. He keeps them far from him. I don't want to be far from him. I want to know him. I want to be close to him. And so it's important for me to understand what is vital. Now listen to this. And God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and this world. Let our loyalty never be divided. Between God and this world. And we can stop right here and we can just preach. What do we stand for? We stand for him and his word. Listen to me. It's not a popularity contest. I'm not just going to do things to be popular. I'm going to do things to be pleasing to him. And if the world doesn't like it, then the world doesn't like it. I'm not here to please them. I'm here to please him. Jesus even told us, right, you'll be hated for my name's sake. If they hated me, surely they're going to hate you. Because when you stand for truth and everything in this world is going against truth, then guess what? That means they're not going to like what you are standing for. But I'm not here for them to like me. I'm here to help God save them. Amen? And God can't save them if the church doesn't stand for truth. God just doesn't want them to be lost in their sin. Come on now, that's why he sent Jesus. To save them. For God so loves the world. Listen, so that he might save them. You don't save the world with agree, by agreeing with the world. You save the world by being a beacon of light in a dark place. And the only way we're beacons of light is when we stand for truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. Stand on the word of God. No matter how much pressure is applied, stick with the word. Well, the word's going to make them feel bad. No, it's not going to make them. It's going to convict them of their sin and lead them to change. <laughs> Trying to stay off these soapboxes. The, the Holy Spirit, who is the one who convicts, we got to give him those opportunities, and we do that by standing for truth. Amen. You know, culture does not decide doctrine. Just doesn't. Culture does not decide doctrine. The Word of God decides doctrine. And we live by the Word of God. And, and, and I'll just say this. This is just a, a side trail. You know, if, if it's said in the Word of God, and then nothing is said to change it, then don't change it. So many people make an argument against the Word of God from silence. You can't make an argument from silence. I know sometimes maybe as spouses, that's how we fight. <laughs> but you can't, I heard someone say it. You can't make an argument from silence. What does that mean? If God said it and then there's nothing in there to refute it, then he hasn't changed his mind about it. But there's a lot of people, you know, I'll, just, I'll use an easy one to give you an example. I heard somebody say the other day, well, the Apostle Paul never talked about tithing, so that means the church isn't supposed to tithe. They're using Paul's silence on the subject of tithing to make an argument that they're, they're making an argument out of silence. 
Well, let me ask you this. There's one greater than Paul. I don't know when Paul became the Messiah. And I don't know who decided that only what the Apostle Paul wrote is what we should be living. There's a whole lot more in here than just the epistles. And I'm not called to just obey the epistles. Furthermore, one greater than Paul is Jesus. And Jesus talked about the tithe. Right? And in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, 8, 9, it talks about the tithe. And so we can't make an argument out of silence. And that's what a lot of people are doing. Well, you don't have to live this way. Well, show me in the Word of God where he said that. And then it's just silence. No, it's kind of like with the law. Make an argument out of silence. Man, read the first three chapters of the book of Romans. It'll really help you. The Apostle Paul talks about the law and talks about Christ. And he even talks about how some Gentiles are greater than the Jews because they have no covenant with God, but yet they're keeping the law. <laughs> Glory, that'll wreck your brain, right? And then in chapter 3, at the end of it, I, let's just look at it real quick. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, how'd we get here? Somebody rewind the tape. How'd we get here? Glory to God. Look at this. This is, of course, in uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 31. I love this. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. <laughs> and then look what he says after. Of course not. Does that mean we can forget about the law? Of course not. Of course, in fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. And he goes on through this whole book and these chapters and he talks about the law can't save you, only Jesus can do that. So stop looking to the law to save you, but understand this, if you are saved, you should fulfill the law. What does that mean? <laughs> Glory to God. You can't preach that the law's been done away with because of grace. Give me a break. So you're telling me because grace is on my life, I can go out and murder? Last I checked, that was part of the moral law. Thou shalt not kill. But if grace voids the law... And this is the problem with hyper-grace. Live how you want, it doesn't matter. It's not what the Word of God says. Of course you can't go out and murder. It breaks God's law. And because I look to Christ for salvation, I'm going to keep the law. And because I keep the law... I'm going to walk in the blessing of God. Amen. Come on now. Amen. Glory to God. Over here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. With this, Guess what? His truth stands firm. What is truth? We already said it. Thy word is truth. What does the Bible say about his truth? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. All these fake religions and fake doctrines that people are teaching, all that's going to pass away. But what's going to stand forever is the Word of God. Amen. God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, the Lord knows who are His. Come on now, anybody in here belong to Him? 
The Lord knows those who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from me. You got real excited about belonging to him. But then we read the rest of it. <laughs> What's this go back to? It goes back to the foundational doctrine that those who repent, there's a turning away from some things. Amen. There's a leaving of some things behind us. I'm pursuing him now. I want to know him now. Luke 13, 22 through 30. We don't have time to read it, but it says that the gate is narrow. Amen. And I can't go out and do this and I can't go out and do that. But instead, I've got to follow God. Let's go over to Luke chapter 10. Y'all doing all right this morning? Because what I want to do is I want to know him. And I want to obey him. Hallelujah. I think it's 1038. Yeah, we'll just, hallelujah. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into their home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was worrying over all the big dinner she was preparing. Remember, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Did he authorize it? Now look, but Martha was worrying about the big dinner she was preparing. She came over to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. I don't think she's ready for this. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are so upset over these details. This is really the only thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and I won't take it away from her. And so what's going on is she's, she's being busy thinking she's doing all these things for the Lord. And then she looks and sees her sister doing what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Come on, we can't get busy, even, don't you, you're supposed to serve in the body of Christ, amen? But we can't get so busy serving in the body of Christ, we forget why we're serving. And we need to change maybe the way we even think about church. I'm not coming here to sing songs about him or to him, I'm coming here to meet with him. I'm not coming here to hear a sermon by a preacher, I'm coming here to sit at the feet of Jesus and be with him. Him. Come on, we're so busy with all the doing, we forget the one we're doing it for. And Jesus told her, he said, listen, your sister has discovered something that is more valuable than all the things you're doing. And what's more valuable than everything you're doing is just being with me. This is the most valuable thing you could do with your life. Because from your relationship with him comes everything else. You can't be a good father unless you have a relationship. Oh, yeah, come on now. You could try, but doing things in your own strength, you will grow weary. You can't be a good mother without him. Can't be a good employee without him. It all starts from this relationship that we have with him. Everybody say, know him. 
And so we have to be busy getting to know the one that we serve. You remember in Revelation, hallelujah, he said this, but I have this charge against you that you've left your first love. You've lost the depth of love you first had for me. Come on, disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us not forget the love that we have for him. You know, I heard somebody talking about a house that they got this morning. And I remember when Rachel and I bought our house and we're so excited to move in. Right. And we move in and it's new and it's fresh and, and it's exciting. And then years later, that enthusiasm just now I have to mow the grass have to clean the kitchen. Right. Can we just burn it down? <laughs> it's amazing how time causes us to lose the enthusiasms for things that are new. And when you first get born again, man, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Why? Because you have a fresh memory of the things that he saved you from. Right? You have a fresh memory of how terrible your life was before him and how good it is now that you're saved. Some of us need to remember that. Where we were before Jesus Christ and where we are now with Jesus Christ. Amen. And we need to return to that enthusiasm that we had when we got first born again. Right? Because it's not about all the doing. It's not about all the rules and the regulations. It's about him. And when we make it about him, everything just falls into place. Someone say, praise the Lord. And so we got to be busy seeking God. Someone say, I'm seeking God. Matthew 6, 30, we know this. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. It says, but if God so clothes the grass in the fields, which is alive and green today, cut and thrown as fuel into the furnace, will he, mu- will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, verse 31, therefore do not worry or be anxious, perpetually uneasy or distracted. Now he fit a lot into that saying right there. Do not worry Do not be uneasy. And I like this latter one. Do not be distracted. Right? Don't be distracted. This is how the devil comes and fulfills his promise to steal, kill, and destroy. When the believer gets distracted, right? When they get their attention on other things. When we have divided loyalty. Complete fidelity to the Lord. Amen. What are we going to wear? Verse 32. For the pagan or the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. But do not worry, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom, his righteousness. Look at this part. His way of doing and being right. The attitude and character of God. And all these things will be given to you also. I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, if they ask for a lot, you'll be given a little. But if you ask for heavenly, you'll be given a lot. What is that? Seeking him first. Seeking God first. And and, and when he said, seek ye first the kingdom, what is the kingdom? That is a realm. 
That is a rule, the kingdom rule, the heavenly realm, the heavenly rule. Seek first heavenly realm. Seek first heavenly rule. Follow after all these things. And don't be anxious about everything going on. Don't be eager about everything going on. Don't be distracted with everything going on. But seek first God. Someone say know him. Why is this important? This is what pulls the purpose out of you. This is what pulls the call out of you. Being with him, seeking him, empowers us to follow after him and do what he's called us to do. Psalms 27 and 8 says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And so I've heard Pastor Mark and Pastor Ron say it this way. I've said it myself. I'm not seeking the hand of God. I'm seeking the face of God. Right? It's like Moses over there in Exodus. Maybe 17, 33, somewhere. And he went up onto that mountain. Remember why he went up onto the mountain? Because all those people were going crazy and creating gold calves and <laughs> just doing all, just being weird. And Moses didn't have an answer for their weirdness, so he went up onto the mountain and he spoke to God and God ministered to him and told him do this and do that. And I love it. He went to seek God. He went to get answers. But after he got his answers, I love what he did. He stayed there. And then he even said, God, you know, I'm paraphrasing, you've given me answers and that's good, but let me see your face. Let me see you. Let me know you. Listen, there's nothing wrong for going to God when you need answers. There's nothing going, wrong with going to God when you need wisdom. We're instructed to do all of that. But I love how Moses went a step further. I got what I need. Let me just be with you now. And God says, I can't, you know, you can't see me. But what I'll do is I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll let my goodness, my glory pass by you. Right? And this is what we need. The glory of God. The power of God. We've been promised revival, amen. We've been promised an outpouring, and we're going to see an outpouring. We've been promised that the glory of God is going to cover the earth as the water covers the sea, and we're going to see that. And the way we see that is by seeking after him. Amen. Because why? We're not here for our glory. We're here for his glory. And the way we get his glory is seeking after him. Oh, come on now. Glory to God. Everyone seek after him. Come on, say it. Seek after him. Yes. Psalms 105 verse 4 says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Just want more of God. Glory to God. You can go over to Colossians. We don't have time. You can read it. It talks about your mind being stayed on the Lord. And then he said this in the Amplified. Continue seeking. Continue seeking. I want to know God. I want to know God. And listen, there's, there's greater depths of him that I have not yet discovered, but I'm willing to go. Do you hear me this morning, church? How do we get into the depths of his love? What the book, what the Bible says, I, I think it's in Ephesians, it might be the Colossians prayers, it might be the Ephesians prayers, but he says to know the depths of his love that are so great we'll never fully understand it. How do I get out into the depths of his love? It's easy. I obey God. 
And through my obedience, I'm seeking after Him. And when I seek after Him, He can reveal Himself more to me. If you would, just close your eyes and bow your heads. Father God, I challenge every single one of them. Oh Lord, I challenge them. I challenge them. Let us not do what we want to do. Let us be about our Father's business. Let us walk, let us live, let us think as true disciples of the Lord. Let us obey the commandments of our Heavenly Father. Like you said in John 14, we're here to obey the commands of our Lord. I ask that you birth that desire on every, inside every single one of us that would be hungry to obey the God that we serve. Not just out here doing our own thing, even when it comes to serving you, Father God, not just being busy about the work, but understanding we're here to meet with you. Birth that on the inside of us, a new hunger to know you, a new hunger to be with you, a new hunger to obey you. So I ask you right now as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, I encourage you, examine your own heart. Examine your own heart. And I know this to be true. If you examine your own heart and you are honest with yourself, there's some things you could do better. Now listen, even when it comes to reading your Bible, are you doing it out of duty? Or are you doing it to know Him? There's things we can improve on, every single one of us. And so as you look into your own heart and you see those things that God is challenging you with, I encourage you, make a choice this morning that you're going to work on those things that He's showing you right now in this moment. Maybe He's encouraging you and challenging you to be a better husband. Make up your mind that you're going to work on that. Maybe He's challenging you to be a better wife. Make up your mind that you're going to work on Maybe it's challenging you to be a, a better parent. Make up your mind that you're going to work on that. Maybe he's just challenging you to be a better disciple. Make up your mind, I'll work on that. Now as your eyes are closed, listen to me. As you work on being a disciple, that is the key to getting rid of fear, that is the key to getting rid of anxiety, worry, insecurity, doubt, negative thought process. Working on being a disciple takes care of all of that. Because as you dive into the Word and you get to know Him in a more intimate way, all these things that this world tries to plague us with begin to fall to the wayside. 
Because as you become more of a disciple, and as you become more acquainted with him, he elevates you to a place where those things can no longer survive. So let's all say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving me your son, Jesus. Jesus, I receive you this morning as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask to be forgiven for any time that I chose myself over choosing you. I make a decision that you will be first. And I choose to obey you to the best of my ability. I choose to be a disciple. Now, Father God, come on, say it. Say, Father God, I ask you for help and grace so that I can obey you every step of the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you this morning. I want to encourage you to come back for midweek. It'll be good. Tonight, got my first note. That is awesome. <laughs> Tonight is on the wall prayer. This is a, a, our prayer group. You can come out and pray. Pastor Belinda is going to do a little teaching and then you can pray with her. It's going to be right here in this room at 6 p.m. Amen. Now I encourage you, come back Wednesday night for midweek service. Let's dive into God with all of our hearts. Right? Love the Lord with all of your heart. Right? All of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind. Let's give Him everything. Can you do that? Can you do that? Glory to God. Well, you're blessed to be a blessing. Go be a blessing in the community you live in. We love you. We'll see you next time.